You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Amen. Listen, I'm going to read something to you from John chapter 10, verse 10, and then I'm going to introduce uh, Lucilena to you. She is the director of the, the Pregnancy Resource Center that is a ministry of Church on the Move here on Main Street, uh, in which many other churches also sow into, um, and that we do some tremendous work at. Some tremendous work takes place there. <laughs> the Bible says in John 10, 10, <clears throat> excuse me, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come, this is Jesus, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow with life. I thank God we serve a God of life, not a God of death. And there is a God of death, and he talks about who he is in here, and that's our enemy, that's Satan himself. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his whole mission. And so, Man, guys, when we talk about being pro-life, and this is one of the T-shirts that you can purchase and uh, that I'm wearing today out in the lobby to support that, and all that money goes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. And so, guys, listen, we, we have to be a pro-life people to combat the pro-death march across our nation, and we especially in New Mexico. And so I'm going to let Lucilena talk more about that here in just a moment. But before we do, I just want you to hear this testimony from this person who survived an abortion. I'm Pastor Marvin Hightower, pastor of Word of Faith Christian Center in Madisonville, Kentucky. And I survived two abortion attempts by my mom. I was a stereotypical troubled kid, you know, uh, poor. We were poor. We were on welfare. And uh, I was a statistic waiting to happen and, uh, until God interrupted my life at age 19. And when I was 28, I was ordained and I was assigned a church to pastor. And on that day, that very day that I was ordained and assigned a church to pastor, uh, my mom tells me of the miracle that surrounds my birth. She was a uh, in high school and uh, very poor, scared, and uh, the daddy was not in her life. She decided to have an abortion and she went to this backroom abortionist. When I tell this story, a lot of people think, well, the miracle is that God somehow changed her mind. But the fact is that she actually went to the doctor, she laid on the table, she actually went through the process and the procedure of having an abortion. If you are pregnant and you uh, have an abortion and there's life still on the inside of you, my religious thinking is, well, God wants me to have a baby. But my mom actually decided to go back to the same doctor. So my mom didn't abort me once, she aborted me twice. People try to figure out, well, what did she have triplets? Or maybe the doctor didn't do what he's supposed, I mean, they try to figure out all these things. And I just feel like it was a miracle that God preserved my life. When I give my testimony in churches, I give my testimony in uh, pregnancy care centers and banquets and stuff, I try to minister and be aware of the women that are sitting in the audience that may uh, be thinking, wow, you know, my abortion went through, I did destroy my life, and maybe he could have been a preacher, he could have been 
been this and been that. I try to minister to them that they don't live in condemnation and shame. Number one, that's not what God is about. And that's not the heart of God. God's grace is so thoroughly complete. If we believe the Bible, then you have a baby in heaven, but it's never been the will of God that you live the rest of your life beating yourself up. You be a voice of forgiveness and be a voice for grace. God can bring life out of death and he can use what the enemy meant for your harm and turn it around for your good. And I love this scripture, Hosea 2 and 14. It says that God will take your valley of trouble and make it a door of hope. God knew you, he planned you, he formed you. You're not a, you're not a child of the devil, you're not a mistake. God saw your parents before they even got together. And he said, I want her, I want him, and I've got plans for him, and I've got plans for her. Good morning, church. We're really, really excited to be doing this today. You know, um, statistics show right now that four in every 10 women that attend church right now in 2023 have had an abortion. So if you look around, there's a lot of women in here, right? And I want to speak to the ones that have already gone through the procedure. I want you guys to remember what Pastor Marvin just said. You guys don't have to live in condemnation. Jesus loves you. He makes beauty for ashes. And if you guys need help to go through the process, let us know. Because we have a program called Surrendering the Secret. And it's a class that you guys can take and that will help you through the process of healing from that abortion. There's a baby waiting for you in heaven. Um, we're definitely really excited. Everything that's going on around our nation, you know, in the last couple of months, We've seen the overturn of Roe, the overturned of Roe versus Wade and everything that has been, yeah, we're excited for that. You know, there's already 13, 13 states that have already completely banned abortions. Um, there is four that only are allowing it up to six weeks and there's one that's allowing it between 20 to 22 weeks. Um, unfortunately, New Mexico is not in that list. So we still have a lot of work to do. Um, in our state, there's no ban and there's no limit, which means that if a mommy decides at 32 weeks, hey, I don't wanna have this baby anymore, she can actually go in and they will perform the abortion. Not only that, if a mommy is younger than 18, let's say that it's a 13-year-old, 14-year-old going in, and um, she decides, hey, you know, I don't want to have this baby. She doesn't need parental consent to get the procedure done. I have a 13-year-old myself, and I can't even imagine what would be going through her head if that would be the case. You guys may ask, how can we help? How can we get involved? Hey, I work two jobs, or you know what? My job doesn't allow me to actually go in and serve. What can I do? I encourage you guys to pray. Don't only pray for abortions to become illegal, but also pray for the moms that are considering having those abortions. And also the people that actually work in those facilities so that God will soften their hearts and that they can see that what they're doing is murder. Vote. Make sure you guys vote. Vote based on not your 
Democrat or Republican, no. Vote based on your values. What does Jesus think about you? Vote based on what you know it's right, not what grandma and grandpa taught you. Encourage people to vote. Encourage people to get involved. Run for office. You know, we've seen so many things that, have, that our city has accomplished just because we have some godly people within our city council or sheriff's department. So we still have to go for more. Donate. We need to put our money where our mind is. So if you guys want to donate in any way, sign up. Let us know how it is. Do you want to become a monthly donor? Do you want to do the baby bottles? Put the baby bottles in your car. Whenever you run in the morning to McDonald's to get your morning coffee, three creams, two sugars, put the change in there. Or whenever you go in the middle of the day to Sonic to get your ocean water with extra cream, medium, you know, put the change in there. And then you can drop off these bottles here at the church or you can take them to the Pregnancy Resource Center. You know, in the past three years, we had helped over a thousand families within our community. Um, yeah, praise God to that. The help hasn't just been monetary. We haven't just helped them with the diapers, the wipes, the formula, especially through the craziness of COVID, the formula and the diapers. Um, we have also helped them with the parenting and the pregnancy classes. We have helped parents get their babies back from CYFD. So we are making a difference. And I want to leave you guys with this. Three years ago, I was at a training in Ohio. And in this training, it was a new director's training. It was a long week, and I was overwhelmed by my blessings. God had been so good throughout that week, and he had pumped me up and told me what needed to change, what we needed to do. So I was overwhelmed in this bus riding to the airport. And in the process of that, I, God's presence just feels different. And whenever I was sitting there, I was praising him and thanking him for his goodness because I also came back with a $5,000 donation check for the pregnancy center. Um, so um, I was thanking him for his goodness. And I remember sitting in that bus and maybe it's a question that you have asked God before or maybe you're asking him right now. I asked him, why me? Out of all the people in the world, why me? And I'm never going to forget the presence in his voice when he told to me, because you were created for such time as this. So are you guys. Every single one of you were created for such time as this. If we work together, we can make a difference. Thank you, guys. Praise God. Well, you can also donate to the Pregnancy Resource Center. You can do those baby bottles. You can buy a T-shirt today. Um, you can go and serve at the Pregnancy Resource Center and serve those young men and young women. And we're constantly improving it. You know, we've had a Pregnancy Resource Center since 1999. That's how long we've, we've done that, giving out diapers and formulas. We don't just say, uh, keep your baby. We don't just say, um, you know, uh, 
that uh, keep your baby and throw you to the curb. We say if you keep your baby or even women and people that have children that don't know quite, they, they haven't learned good parenting skills or don't have the means necessary to give them all the diapers and the car seats and the cribs and the cradles, all the stuff that we give out on a regular basis, we have all that. We, we believe that faith without works is dead. That you don't just say, okay, do this and then you don't help. Amen. We, have to, we, have, we also help, and we've been doing that since 1999. I think that is absolutely incredible what Church on the Move and all of you have done all through these years. Thousands and thousands of diapers and different things. I know uh, Lisa Lena said in first service that they can always use diapers. So even if you become a monthly uh, a diaper donor, I think that's a good, become a diaper donor. Someone asks you, what do you do? I'm a diaper donor. What do you mean? You fill your diapers? You donate those? No. It means that you're bringing diapers to the Pregnancy Resource Center. And you can drop them off at, at the center, or you can drop them off here at the office. And just when you go to the store once a month, just buy a thing of diapers and d- deliver them. And we'll, I guarantee you they will be used. And so, uh, but anyway, just be part of that. Be part of the, the pro-life generation. Be part of the light that our state so desperately needs. Because when other states are going the right direction, we're going the wrong direction. Uh, our governor wants to build a $10 million uh, facility, uh, abortion facility in Las Cruces, and she wants to also build another one in Portales or Clovis right there on the Texas border. She wants to build multitudes. And you know, we're the, we're the Albuquerque has the, the, uh, the leading uh, uh, late-term abortion uh, clinic in the world, in the world, all the way up to the day of delivery. And now they want to pass a law in New Mexico that even after a child is delivered and is alive, that they let that child die. They, they want to pass that law in our state. And it's going to be up for vote probably in the next couple months in our state legislature. So we have a lot of work to do. Amen. I like what it said at the bottom of that deal with the baby where it says every person has a purpose because that's what we've been talking about. And God has chosen some of you. And you know what's crazy? Some of you are doing what you're called to do, but you might not know it's what you were created for and that you're doing it with a bigger purpose than just going to work or having a job. And so God wants to show you that too, but you have to get close to God. We've talked about that many times. If you want to know what God has to say about your life, you got to go and get close to him to hear it. That he speaks in a whisper, and to hear somebody whisper, you got to be right up close to him. And that's, he, he does that not because he's trying to hide it from us or keep it from us, but he wants to draw us into his presence because he wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. You know, and there's two perspectives that people have of God. And if you have an improper perspective, you'll never live the dream, the purpose, the destiny, whatever you want to label it for your life. You'll never know what you really were created to do. And so go with me to Matthew 25, and God gives a great example. Jesus tells this parable, this story that proves a point. That's what a parable basically is. And he says... And verse uh, 14 says, again, heaven's kingdom is like a wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management to them. Before he left on his journey, he entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to one of his servants, to another a bag of 2,000 coins, and to a third a bag of 1,000 coins, each according to his ability to manage. You know, God knows what you can manage right now. And he'll never give you more than you can manage 
I said he'll never give you more than you can manage. But he's a God of promotion, so he wants you to prove yourself faithful with what he's given you so he can promote you. And two of the servants that he gave these bags of gold to, one, five, one, two, had a proper perspective of God, and you know that by the story. So he says this in verse 16. The, the one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately, everybody say immediately, went out and traded with the money, and he doubled his investment. In the same way, the one who was entrusted with 2,000 Gold coins traded with the sum and likewise doubled his investment. But the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After much time had passed, the master returned and settled accounts with his servants. The one who was entrusted with 5,000 gold coins came and brought 10,000 saying, See, I have doubled your money. Commending his servant, the master replied, You have done well and proven yourself to be a loyal and trustworthy servant because you have been faithful steward to manage a small sum. Now I'll put you in charge of much. God always wants to promote you. Jesus told this story and said, This is how the kingdom of God operates. That God is a God that trusts you with what you can be trusted and what you can manage right now. But his whole point of it is, is to prove you faithful, to prove you faithful to promote you. Because he's a God of promotion. He's a God. That's, how, that's his heart. And these guys, the one with five and the one with two, understood the heart of our Father, that he loves them, he cares about them, and that he wanted to bless them, and he helped them multiply that money. That's why the one with five and the one with two immediately went to work, because they trusted their master. They trusted God that he is good. That he's good. And so he says, uh, uh, I, will I will charge you uh, or, or put you in charge of much, much more. You will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, enter into the joy of the Lord. But the one with two got the same response when he doubled it. You notice God's not a respecter of persons. He blessed and said the same thing the one with five as he did the one with two. They got the same reward. Then the one that with one came. In verse 24, then the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins came to his master and said, listen to what he says real closely. Look, sir, I know that you are a hard man to please. So his view of God is God's hard. God's critical. God's judgmental. God's, God hates him. God dislikes him. God's not a promoter. He's not merciful. He's not kind. He's not full of love and grace and mercy. He's none of those things. He viewed him as hard. Then he says this about him. He said, I know. He doesn't say, I, I even see it that way. In his heart, he says, I know who you are, and it's all a lie. It's all a misconception. It's all a, a deceptive lie in his mind that convinced him that the same master that these guys went out and immediately doubled and immediately ran to them and immediately was promoted and blessed, he views him totally a different way. And if you view God the way this guy does, that's the reason a lot of people don't live out the dream that God created them to, to live out. That's why they don't live out the purpose. That's why people don't even dream because they view God as hard instead of God as kind. This is what else he says about him. He said, I know that you are a hard man to please and you're shrewd and a ruthless businessman who grows rich off the backs of others. God's a, he says, God, you're smart, but you use your intelligence to live off of others and you're a taker, not a giver. You're a taker, God. 
And that's how some people view him. He's hard. He's a taker. He just wants to take from you and use you. He accused God of being a user. And a lot of people have that mentality. Can I describe them to you? They are very legalistic. They, they might go to church, but they go to a legalistic church, and they have a legalistic attitude towards God. They're hard because they think God is hard. They're very moralistic, extremely judgmental of everybody else except their own life. And out of that legalism, they're what Jesus said is whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. They look good on the outside because they're legalistic and they act real religious and righteous, but behind closed doors, they're nothing like that because their view of God is so messed up. It's so messed up. Man, when I, when I first prayed, the first prayer I ever prayed was to give my heart to Jesus. First prayer I ever prayed in my life was to give my heart to Jesus. And I just... You know, so after I prayed, I still was drinking and part, I still had stuff I would keep falling and doing stuff. But man, my thought, I didn't even know the Bible. I didn't, this is what I, this is what I thought. And this is what I knew. That if God would forgive me when I wasn't even trying to please him, how much more would he forgive me when I was trying to please him? So my view of God was that God is good. He saved me when I was his enemy. Now I don't want to be his enemy. How much more is he going to be good to me? So instead of running away from him when I sin, and even now, I run to him because I know God is good. I know God loves me. He loved me when I was his enemy. He loved me so much he died for my sins. He hung on a cross, took a beating. The Old Testament says his body was unrecognizable as a man on the cross. Not the passion for Christ, nor any movie has ever really portrayed what he looked like hanging on the cross. The Bible says if you looked at him, you would not even tell there was a human being. It looked like a piece of bloody meat hanging on that cross. That's how bad a beating he took. We've never depicted it properly, according to what the Word of God says. He did that for me, for my sins? How dare I treat him like he's hard? That all he's doing is thinking of ways he can use me. He wants to live off my back. Oh my gosh, God's such a giver. These other guys understood. God's a giver, God's a promoter, God's kind and God's good. So they immediately ran out and said, man, I'm gonna produce something good here. He trusted me with this? Man, I know his hand is on me, his blessing's on me, and I know he's good to me. When you have a wrong view of God, you can't live out the dream, the purpose, the destiny that God has for you. You can't discover it because you can't get close to him. As a matter of fact, this man who said that about God not only has a wrong view, he not only doesn't love him, he hated him. He hated God. And when you're legalistic and moralistic and you, and you treat God like he's this ogre, like he's a user, that he can't wait to squash you and squash everybody else. You're so wrong. You're so wrong. That's not the God we know or serve. If he was that way, we'd all be, we'd be over. I mean, he's got every reason in the world to, to just wipe us out. It would just be over in a second. He would have never saved Noah. He would have let all mankind just drown. They all deserved it. Even Noah deserved it. 
The Bible says he was the most righteous man he could find. He didn't say that Noah was perfect by any means. And we know that, that after he was saved and he got drunk and did all kinds of crazy stuff. So did his son. So we know Noah wasn't some perfect person. He was just the most righteous person he could find. He did what he could to save mankind. He is kind, he is merciful, and he's full of grace. Does God judge? Yes, but he judges with mercy. He said, he said this. He said, I always tip the scales in your favor. The scales are never even between my justice and mercy. I always favor my mercy. He said, this is exactly what he said in the word. My mercy triumphs over my judgment. That's the God we serve. That's why I didn't know anything about the Bible. I just knew if he'd forgive me the first time, how much more is he going to forgive me now that I'm actually trying to live right and trying to live for him? So I always run to him instead of away from him. Because I know if I go with the right heart, he's going to forgive me. And this is what I love about God. He doesn't just forgive. Uh, you know, he doesn't say like a human being, well, I'm mad at you. You know, it'll be three days later before I'll forgive you. He doesn't build this invisible wall and, and say, well, it's going to take some time. God immediately forgives. I mean, it's immediate, and I receive it immediately. Why? Just like that pastor said up there, the Bible says, now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I refuse to walk in condemnation and guilt. I refuse to let guilt and condemnation make my decisions for me because they're not from our Father. Forgiveness is from our Father. Mercy, grace, His goodness. Does He judge? Yes, He does. Of course He's going to judge sin. Does He hate sin? Yes. You know why He hates sin? Because He loves us. And because He knows sin separates us from Him and then starts separating each other, us from each other and damages people. That's why He hates it. That's the only reason He hates it. Because He knows the damage it causes. He knows the hurt it causes. He is a loving, good God. That's why we say, and we, I started this, I think, almost 20 years ago, that I said, listen, I, we don't say this just to have a saying or say something cool or because someone else says it. We say this all the time because I want you to have a proper perspective of who God is. So I always say, God is all the time. Gosh, you guys said that with the enthusiasm of a, like you're watching an opera or something, man. We're, in, we're at church on the move, church. This, God is all the time. That's, that's the church on the move I know right there. But your, your perspective of who God is is going to determine what you do with what he gave you. I know for the longest time I had this other version. I grew up in the Baptist church, and, and there's some great Baptists, and there's some people that love Jesus in there. But, man, I didn't hear that. The church I went to in Clovis, the pastor, all he talked about was, man, you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Man, it's trouble, 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 trouble. I'm like, dude, you don't need to tell me every Sunday. I know that every Friday and Saturday night I'm in trouble. But I never heard the, the other part of it. That God wanted to deliver me from all my troubles and all my fears. I just heard the one side. 
So my image of God was this hard old man sitting up in heaven, couldn't wait to pounce on me, couldn't wait to zap me with a lightning bolt, couldn't wait to teach me hard lessons. I never knew that he had his hand out, couldn't wait to forgive me and teach me how to live right, that I'd be a blessing to him and blessing to others. But the first time I heard it, the first time I heard John 3.17, that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. That's the first time I ever felt like I wasn't condemned. I'm like, really? I thought God came here to condemn me. Because that's all I heard from religion. It's all I heard from legalism. What he came to do was save me. I was already condemned. He didn't have to condemn me again. I was already condemned. He came to save me from that. He came to save you from that. God is merciful and kind. That's, that's his nature is to lean towards that. Now, if you want him to be hard, you want him to, be, to, to apply his justice to you, and you demand that, he'll do it. He'll do it. It's like I would tell my kids when they were growing up, listen, you got two options right now. You can stop doing what you're doing, and we can just talk about this and fix it, or you can keep doing what you're doing, and I can punish you. You have an option. You choose. Do you want, either way, I'm going to love you. Either way, it's going to be for your good, not for my good. I don't want to have to get up and spank you or get up and deal with you, but it's going to be for your good. But I did it out of love, not because I hate my children, because I love my children. Matter of fact, the Bible says, if you don't discipline your children, you do hate them. Because you're setting them up for failure. But if you love them, you will discipline them. You will, you will take the time to love them enough to teach them right from wrong. Whether they do that or not, when they get older, that's their business. You can't control everything. Now that you have, when you have adult children, you're going to realize, man, they're... They're not five. You can't make them sit in a corner. You wish you could, but you can't. Now you just pray for them and believe that what you taught them, that God will produce that in their heart and that that won't, go, that won't be dead, that that will come alive, and you just keep watering the seed that you drug them to church and made them here. But you always want to teach them that, that God always values mercy over judgment. You want them to have a proper perspective that they reverence God, they respect God because they know there is a judgment, but they also, they also know he's good. And when you learn that, that will open up the doors to the purpose and dream and the destiny that God created you to fulfill. And, you know, we talked about Joseph last week about how God gave him a dream and that, that, he would, that he would lead his brothers, and then he gave him another dream that he would lead his parents. But, you know, God, he always starts little, but it never ends up little. He ends up leading the whole known world. But he showed him just that little. Sometimes he'll just show you the little, and he's got something much bigger in store. How, why? Because he, what he just said here in that parable, if you're faithful with the little, then I'll give you much, much more. Much, much more. He'll make the dream bigger. And Joseph was faithful all that time. But we talked about a couple characteristics that he had. And, and I want to share one of the, the first ones I want to talk to you about today is boldness. Joseph had a boldness. And when you have a boldness, it's going to make you different. 
I'm not talking about an arrogance. I'm not talking about pride. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about a, a real, a true confidence and a boldness that comes with that. And when you're bold and you're confident about what God created you to do, the dream God gave you, you're going to be different, and some people are going to hate you for it. I quoted this to some people yesterday that I was teaching some, some personality stuff to and leadership stuff to that uh, Casey Stengel, who was the uh, manager of the New York Yankees for a long time and managed the Mets for a little while, the world champion Yankees back in the 50s, he always said, he said, the, bet, he said, the, the greatest lesson I learned as a manager is, is that I got to keep away the people who already hate me from the ones that are undecided. Sound just like something he would say. But when you're bold and you're confident about what God's called you to do, there's going to be some haters. And they tried to beat the dream out of Joseph, and Satan and people will try to beat the dream out of you when you're bold enough to begin to speak about it, when you're bold enough to begin to take action. Because with that boldness comes action. With that boldness, you start living on purpose. And when you start living on purpose, your actions become intentional. They don't become mistakes. or you don't, you don't accidentally get up and make your bed in the morning. You don't accidentally get up and work out. You don't accidentally get up and read your Bible. You don't accidentally pray that morning. You don't accidentally make this decision or that decision or take that action or that action. Your actions become intentional. When you know the dream and you have this boldness, this confidence that comes from knowing that it's God, God's called you, man, your actions become very intentional. You start living with intention. Instead of just kind of going through the motions, get up, go to work. I mean, you start going to work with an intention. I'm honoring God with what he's called me to do. This is what he's gifted me to do. This is what generations of my family. I have, I have family members that are generational firemen. I have family members that, are, that do things, generational military. I, I can take our military, our family's been in the military all the way back to the Revolutionary War. I had 26 relatives fighting the, in the Revolutionary War. And now I have one son serving and another son about to go in. That's gen and my father. My father's retired military. That's generational. I also believe there's going to be generational pastors. Generational pastors. There's going to be some generational stuff that takes place in your family, but they got to know it's for a purpose because you can sometimes be doing what you're called to do, but you don't know why. And that why is, is man, it's huge to you getting up in the morning excited, full of joy, full of determination, and making decisions on what to say yes to and what to say no to. Because I knew the intentions and the dream that God gave me when I was 18 to be a pastor, when I talked to my wife about marrying me, I told her, I said, don't marry me if you think I'm going to be in business, a businessman. Marry me knowing I'm going to be a pastor. And I didn't lie to her. And it wasn't a pipe dream. Over 30 years, or I don't know what, 28, 29 years, we've been in the ministry together. Because... But Julie needed to make a decision because I was living for a purpose and I was living intentionally. And that's what purpose gives you. That's what the dream that God has for you when you know it, when you press into him and he speaks it to you, it gives you a boldness to live on purpose and to, and to say yes and no to relationships and circumstances and situations. And then I'll tell you what else that, that boldness gives you. It gives you the ability to put the past behind you. It gives you the ability to forgive others that have hurt you. 
It gives you the ability to allow God. God said, I'll deliver you from your past. Just to deliver you from all the past failures, mistakes, problems, and issues. And so what, what do I do with my past? I can't forget it. You take the lessons you've learned from the hard things, the failures you've had and the failures of others. You take the lessons and you remember all the good times. But you don't take the hurt and pain with you. Because if you do, it'll manipulate you. If you do, it will, it will start making decisions for you. Instead of the dream making the decision, the purpose in which you call making decision, that hurt and pain will make decisions. You'll end up in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people instead of the right place at the right time with the right people. You can't let your past dictate your today and your tomorrow. You actually have to put that behind you. If you want to live out God's purpose, he won't let you drag that forward. You have to allow God to heal you from it, deliver you from it. Your mistakes, your sins, your problems, your issues, and someone else's that did stuff to you. You live with intention, an intentional boldness to be able to do that. And then you have to start thinking differently. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. Let's go there. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? What is he talking about? How marvelous God is and how merciful our God is. Our, this is what our response should be, to surrender ourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship, not just singing in church or singing along with the Christian radio, but actually living a life that, that worships God. Stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. When you, when you discover the dream and purpose God's called you to and you start pressing into him, he's gonna have to change how you think. He'll first change how you think about the past and then he's gonna change how you think about the present. One of the thoughts he wants to change today in many of your minds is, is, that, is that he's not condemning you. He loves you. He wants to save you from condemnation. He's not critical. You know, I love it in James 1. It says, if you, anyone lacks wisdom, let them pray and ask for wisdom, but pray in faith, believing that God will pour it out. And he says, he says you got to believe two things to get it. One, that he's going to pour it out generously to you, and two, that he's not a fault finder. Otherwise, you can't think he's hard and that he's trying to use you or trying to manipulate you. You can't think that way. you got to think the way God wants you to think, which is he's not a fault finder. He's not looking for a reason not to give you wisdom. He just, just you asking is reason enough for him to give it to you. You see how God is? You gotta, we have to change our stinking thinking to right thinking about who God is, how he operates, how his kingdom manifests in our lives right here, right now with our families and in our state. I don't know of a, I say this, I've said this this whole time, I've been teaching on this. I don't know of a darker time in the history of our nation that I have lived in than this one right here. And God needs us to shine our light. Matthew 5, 16, we talked about it last week. He needs us to shine our, the light. He's called us to good works, and he wants, to, wants, to, wants us to shine his light in this dark world. And our young people need to see the goodness and the light of God shining in our lives. Our children need to see it. 
Someone asked me the other day because they, they, they knew that we were 50th in education and 49th in care for children, all these things. They said, why is that happening? And I'll say, because parents don't trust God. Parents don't believe God loves them. And parents, children have not changed. Children are the same. They've always been. The only difference in how they act right now is because there's a difference in how the parents teach them to act. That's it. These children need us to live for God and let our light shine brighter than ever before, especially in a state that our leadership, not us, but our leadership values death over life. They value greed and their power and what they want over what's good for the people of our state. And people keep voting them in because the oppressed will vote for the oppressor. That's how it works. The oppressed will vote for their oppressor. It's like an abused woman that keeps going back to that abusive husband. They're trapped in it. It becomes who they are. It's like a, someone who's spent a lot of time in prison that's been institutionalized that feels better in prison than out free. The people in our state have been institutionalized to believe that this is the best that, that life has to offer. This is the best our government could do. And we have to change that. I said, we have to change that. I'm tired of people thinking. I'm tired of people thinking that heaven's across the state line between us and Texas. Seriously, right? We're not a destination state nor a destination city. We don't have one destination city in our whole state, but people are flocking to Texas, Florida, North Dakota, all over the place. And yet I believe we have the most beautiful sunrise, sunsets, and most beautiful state in the whole United States. I've seen a lot of beauty, but our state is absolutely beautiful. We by far have the best Mexican food. No one can touch us. Mexico can't touch us. Central and South America can't touch us. And Texas and Arizona don't even know what a chili is. Only we do. They think it's a bell pepper. Not a green chili or a jalapeno or a habanero. Right? Guys, we, we have, there's such beauty in our state. And guys, the more I meditate on this, the more I fall in love with the state of New Mexico. Not just the beauty of the geography, but the beauty of the people in our culture, how great we could be. But if we're not living like this, if we don't dream and live on purpose, if we don't have the boldness that comes with knowing what God's called us to do, if we don't have that, we can't let our light shine. We won't have the authority or the influence to help change other people's lives that are suffering in our state. Being taught that God is evil and Satan is good. That's what they're being taught right now. That good is evil and evil is good. They're being taught that in our schools every day. They're being taught that by the culture of, this, of our state every day. God needs us more now than ever. Lucilena said it, for such a time as this, we were created. God put us right here, right now, in this place. You can say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm suffering in my personal life, and I'm suffering this and suffering that. God cares about that. And if you'll let him, he'll heal you and, and dust you off and put you back on your feet. Because there's, there's a bigger purpose than just you. God blesses us to do what? To be.
be a blessing. He saved us so that we can help others be saved. He spoke into our lives so we can speak into other people's lives. He helped us so we can help others. There's a reason, there's a cause. It's bigger than just me, it's bigger than you. It's, it's gonna take us to do it together. All of us doing our part, all of us pulling our weight. Don't let someone else carry your load. You stand up, you get up, and you carry your load with us, with us together. But it's gonna take boldness. I'm gonna end with this thought. I'm gonna give you this thought that it's really the second point. You have to practice courage. Courage is not always learned. You know, in the military, they teach them courage. How do they teach them? Training. They train them over and over again not to react to the fear. I heard a stat the other day that when the shooting starts in a battle, and I had another guy tell me this that fought in Korea on the front lines. He said, when the shooting started, and there's a stat that says only four out of ten soldiers actually shoot their weapon. Four out of ten. The other seven aren't shooting. And I had a guy, Mr. Washington, served in the military, died because he was put in a ditch. And they shot the atomic bomb over him here in New Mexico without any protection and used him as an experiment. And, uh, but he was telling me that in Korea when the shooting started, they all got down when the first time they faced enemy fire and no one shot back for a while. He said, finally, he said, you know what? What was crazy is the toughest guy in the unit, the physically toughest guy, he never fired a shot. But the guy who no one thought would was the first one that stood up and started shooting back. Then a bunch of them started shooting back. He said, but a bunch of them never fired a shot. You have to practice courage. You have to practice. How do you practice it when you're alone and in private life and you say no to evil and you say yes to good? You have to practice the courage to do that. If you can't do that privately, you won't do it publicly. You have to practice the courage to stand up to your kids and say, no, that's not what we're doing in this house. This is, this is a house that belongs to God and this is how we're going to conduct ourselves. No matter what anybody else does, this is who we are. It takes courage to stand up. It takes courage to go to the school board. It takes courage to run for office. It takes courage to go to work and be a Christian at work and not go to the bar on Friday night where everybody else goes and gets drunk. It takes some courage, and you have to practice it. It's like a muscle. Courage is like a muscle. The more you operate on it, the bigger it gets. I want to say this one last thing. A dream delayed is not a dream denied. Let me say it again. A dream delayed is not a dream denied. A prayer delayed is not a prayer denied. Trust God. Trust God. You might think some of my kids are out there. They've been out there for years. But hey, a prayer, a prayer delayed is not a prayer denied. God only knows one time. And that's the right time so trust him trust him practice courage build your muscle of courage because you're going to need it to live the purpose and dream that God has for you listen every eye closed
So grateful everybody joined us online. Glad you're here with us this morning. But right now it's time to pray. So if you're at home or you're watching this later in the week, wherever you're at, man, just get, get to a place that you can just be still for a moment and really consider your life. Really consider your life. It's so easy to teach people about dreaming in places like Texas and, and other, other states that everybody's doing things and being productive and you see a lot of good happening. It's a lot harder to teach it in our state where dreams are squashed and the status quo is, is, is preached and this is all, how it always has been and this is how it always will be. I want to say something to the Christians in this room. God's word is like a hammer. It will break the hardness of people's hearts. God's word is like a fire. It will burn up the draws and burn it out. He doesn't do it to harm. He does it to purify. God's word is like a sword. It dishes out mercy and justice, grace and truth, love and truth. Because God is bigger than the generational curses on maybe on your life, your family, or this state. Together, we're going to break those. And for you that are sitting out there who have never prayed, and you never pray. You're like me. You never pray. Maybe thought God existed. Maybe you're like me. You were a drug baby. Your mom drugged you to church. My mom did. My dad never went, but my mom always went. Your mom prayed for you the way my mom prayed for me, and my brothers and my sister. She's praying that you'll come to a place just like this. Maybe it's your grandmother, grandfather. That one day you'd pray a prayer and accept Jesus as the Lord of your life. What does that mean? It means you'll surrender your life and trust God that he'll be better to you. He'll lead you to better places. He has a better plan for your life than you do. That he's really God and you're really not. That you trust him with your life. Trust Him with your life. Trust that He's good. And that He loves you. Trust Him that He doesn't want you to go to hell. He died so you could go to heaven and me too. Trust Him that He loves you and loves me that much. He wants the best for you. No one will believe in you and love you more than God does. No one. If you've never prayed, let's pray right now. Surrender your life to Him. Here's the thing, He won't make you. He's not a two-bit dictator that'll force you to do things. He gives you a choice. You can choose heaven or hell. You can choose blessing or cursing. You can choose life or death. Peace or chaos. Joy or sadness. You can choose it. I encourage you to choose God. So many in this room are praying right now that you would choose God. So many before you 
your family and others have prayed that you would choose God. Your choice today. If you've never prayed, let's pray right now. Or maybe you've prayed. Maybe you thought God was hard and so you keep running away from him. No, he's good. Keep running to him. And you need to run back to him today. God's not a God of a second chance. He's a God of another chance. And here's your moment. Here's your opportunity. So whether it's your first time or your next time, let's pray right now. I'm going to ask you online, just send us a message. I'm praying for the first time or the next time. I'm going to ask you in this room on the count of three, just lift your hand up at, 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 at three and say, it's me, I need to get right with God. And then right where you're seated and right where you're at online, we're going to pray all together. So online, send the message in this room. One, two, three, just lift your hand up and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God. Man, so praise God. Golly, thank you. God bless you. That's awesome. That's incredible. That's incredible. Wow. Let's all pray together with all these online and all those in this room right now. Say this together. Say, God, I believe you are God. God alone. And that you love us. You send Jesus in the darkest times to die for our sins. For all of us. And you raised him from the dead. And because I believe that, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Deliver me from my past. In Jesus' name. And I receive your full forgiveness. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I surrender my life to you. Teach me now by the Holy Spirit that lives in me right now in your word how to live the dream, the purpose, and why you created me, why I exist, to serve you and to be a blessing as I walk in your blessings. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, so be it, amen. Come on, let's celebrate the goodness of God. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.